<laughs> All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast, episode 237. Uh, this is the show where young salespeople come to learn the craft of sales, to get better at it, to sell more, to make more money, to get promoted, uh, to be more fulfilled in their job, to find the next job, whatever it is. Um, we're on the path together and, and uh, the show can help you get there. Um, if you want to show any love to the show, you can hit me up uh, on LinkedIn. It's probably the best place. Tom Alemo, Tommy Tahoe on other social media like Twitter and Instagram as well. Um, one quick note before we get to the sponsors and then we get to the content. I'm doing this cool thing with Dooley before the end of the quarter, which for me is June. Um, share your best end of quarter story. Uh, I have a post from last Thursday on LinkedIn that is sharing a crazy end of quarter story that I had where I emailed Mark Cuban cold and got a response within about three minutes. Um, so share your story, the best one, uh, biggest win, craziest loss, funniest thing that happened uh, as voted uh, by people will get free access to Dooley, which is a really cool sales tool, sales platform. You also get a guest spot on this podcast. Uh, so it's a win-win uh, for everyone involved. Uh, you can head over to my posts. Let us know what your craziest story is. Love to hear that from you. Um, got a super good episode for you today. Uh, before we get to Will Allred, um, I'm going to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. So first up is Gong.io. Um, Gong, the number one revenue intelligence platform, the best sales invention uh, since sliced bread. Uh, it's, it's changed my game. That's why I went to work there. Um, I use it every single day, obviously. And it's just really amazing hearing from our customers, CROs, VPs of sales, sales reps, BDRs, customer success teams, marketers that want to hear the voice of the customer, that want to uh, develop themselves and get coached and, and improve their skill set. And so if any of that is interesting to you, you can go to gong.io. You could hit me up on LinkedIn and I'll point you in the right direction with someone as well. Um, our second sponsor here is Postal.io. So Postal helps you to send gifts to customers or partners or prospects. Um, and instead of doing something that's kind of cheesy or canned, uh, you can get very uh, personal and very personalized with it. Uh, and it could come from the brewery across town or the local florist to really stand out with that customer. So I use that to send gifts to customers, to send things to former podcast guests or other people in my life. And so um, you can check them out at postal.io. They're also doing something cool that if you go to Apple Podcasts and you hit a five-star review for this podcast, send that to me on LinkedIn, you get a free Starbucks gift card. So you get a free uh, iced tea or coffee cake or venti cold brew or whatever it is that you're into. Uh, all you gotta do is leave a review, send that to me. And we'll give you the Starbucks gift card by June 30th. Okay, so give some love. To Gong, give some love to Postal. Hit me up on social media, all that good stuff. Let's transition. Let's pivot over to today's conversation. I've got my man, Will Allred. Uh, this is a great conversation. The first one uh, that I've had with someone that was on their honeymoon that wanted to come on the podcast. And so we chatted and Will shares his story of starting off in sales at Northwestern Mutual, which I think more than a few listeners probably either know what that is, know someone that did it or, or did it themselves selling life insurance, which is a tough, tough gig. Uh, he talks about the founding story of Lavender, how he met his co-founder, how they pivoted to um, you know, focus on salespeople during COVID and essentially really talk about towards the end, uh, Lavender helps you write good emails, you know, uh, the best emails that you can quickly. And we talk about what some of those characteristics are and how they build the software and how you as an SDR, as an AE, as a sales manager can write better emails for your customers and prospects, right? And that's, that's the business we're in. A lot happens on phone calls, a lot happens on Zoom calls, but a lot of shit happens on email. Uh, negotiation sometimes, unfortunately, obviously prospecting, moving deals along, getting calls uh, scheduled, fighting objections, you wish that you could do it all on a call, but oftentimes it happens over email. So um, Lavender is a cool tool to help you do that. And Will uh, was super willing to kind of share the background of that and what they're using to score as good emails and, and use the uh, tool to get better. So uh, without further ado, let's get straight into my conversation with Will Allred. Let's go.
All right, Will Allred, the first guest out of 230 plus that is joining the podcast from his honeymoon. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, man. I appreciate you having me and uh, yeah, glad to take a, a break from vacation to chat with you about all things sales, emails, et cetera. Yeah, man. Um, well, first of all, congratulations um, on, uh, on taking the leap. I, uh, I am an engaged man myself. So preparing for that step. Uh, so yeah, congrats, congrats on making the move. Well, Hey man, I'm looking forward to you joining me on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm excited to do this and, and excited to get into this with you. Um, I'm curious, just like maybe the audience can get to know you a little bit. Um, what, since you just got married, let's, let's talk about it. Like what, when did you meet your wife? How long ago were you guys together? <laughs> I met my wife um, a little over four years ago now. And it's funny, she she was joking with me because my work anniversary with my co-founder popped up on LinkedIn and she had asked a question about how long we'd been working on it. And I was like, three years. She goes, great, that means we've been doing this for four. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how she remembers how long it's been there's like there's that year before and then there's in like the last three yeah yeah <laughs> she's been patient <laughs> that's funny it's uh it's interesting though um i know we we are just meeting now so i i'd hate to just like assume this on you but i can speak from personal experience that having a strong partner has allowed me to do a lot better professionally and focus and expand in ways that I didn't think that I was previously. Um, I'm curious if that resonates. Uh, 10 trillion times over. Um, It's one of those things that I don't think people talk about enough is, you know, having a, you know, wonderful partner in life. Uh, My now wife has been a fantastic cheerleader supporter of everything that I've been doing over the past few years. And so, um, yeah, don't think any of this would have been possible without her. Yeah, you, it, uh, it, it can't be overstated. Um, I, I'm curious to learn about the origin of, of you getting into, you know, the sales world. And I know you've had a couple different, uh, companies that you've started over the years. I saw on LinkedIn, something about like Northwestern mutual. Was that the, was that the start in the insurance world or, or what? Oh man. Um, that was such a, such a dark time in my life. I, <laughs> I was in summer classes at Carolina, um, working at Northwestern Mutual selling life insurance. And everyone that I could get a hold of worked in the financial services industry already. And so mm. they knew what I was selling. And so I like failed miserably in that role, <laughs> like right out of the gate. And I took the, the mindset it's interesting. It's probably a mindset that's helped me long-term, but it took a mindset of just like, you know, I'm not going to try to sell anyone anything. I'm just going to get to know people, you know, learn about what they're up to. And, you know, if there's an opportunity that I could potentially help someone, you know, so be it. At the time, I didn't have anything of value to add to the conversation, but yeah, that was the mindset and the approach that I took to things. And I think that's actually carried through. Um, I actually took a break from sales after that. Um, yeah, I, I had an internship the, the summer after at a company called CEB, which is now part of Gartner, where I was cold calling all day. And like, I, I, I didn't do terrible at the job. I took a, had a really great a mentor, a guy named Dan Solly, who gave me some great valuable lessons on like how to approach sales and being, you know, casual, friendly, you know, don't overthink it. I remember he, he pulled me aside one day and he goes, you want to see the outreach template that's done the best for me in my entire career? And I was like, sure, because, you know, they've been training us up on like all these different things we had to write out and it was very complicated and like, yeah, I still not totally sure what they sell, but his his highest performing outreach was an email that just said, Hey, some colleagues of yours told me how impressive like your resume was. And I wanted to connect with you about what we're doing 
with other thought leaders like you. And like, yeah, that he said got response like almost half the time. And mm. wasn't even like personalized, wasn't templated or anything. He's just yeah. like, he was just like sending it, go, send, go. And he'd use the same like script on a cold call and it worked for him. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny because I, I went into consulting and forgot all of those valuable lessons in life and began to overcomplicate things again um, yeah. for eventually meeting my co-founder who, yeah, had a really strong career in sales up to the point that we met. Um, he had been working on an ed tech company. You know, we met at a hackathon and uh, after that weekend, when we won the hackathon in Atlanta, we spent two years building a customer data platform and that you know it had a lot of great potential um covid probably did us a favor in you know killing our pipeline off and so <laughs> we had to get smart about what we were doing and we pivoted the business into what's lavender today and so that's what a, a high high level of where i've been as far as sales yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a few things I want to, I want to dig into. Um, and we're going to spend a lot of time on Lavender, but I'm curious, like what Northwestern Mutual is, I had an interview for there and I had sold Cutco the year before in college. Mm -hmm. And so when they're telling me this thing of like kind of the pitch, I'm like, I just did this with knives. I can't go back to all the people that I know that I just sold a thousand dollars worth of knives to and go to however much of life insurance. It's not going to yeah. work. So I, I got it. I got it. Stuff with one of these cutco knives. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I've now got the full value play. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, it didn't pan out, but I'm I'm curious what drew you to that world. Was that just the first internship slash job you could get, or like was there so a specific reason? I had interned in private equity the summer before. Um, it was a family friend who you know agreed to let me just basically sit alongside and learn um, as a silent observer after my freshman year in college. And got to see some really cool acquisitions, got to help them source some uh, potential, you know, companies to go talk to. The, you know, the thing I got interested in there was like the financial services industry as a whole. And so, you know, what a great way to cut your teeth than to sell, you know, the products that are coming out of that industry. I, I struggled with it. And yeah, this is probably more just a, a byproduct of, I didn't have the maturity at the time, but yeah, I struggled with, you know, selling something with a reputation, selling something that I didn't have like a full, you know, conviction behind. Um, and so like, I, yeah, I think that was probably a big part of why I just like, it didn't work out. Um, yeah, I, I was lured in by the promise of you can actually make some pretty good money selling in that world, um, especially as a college student. Uh, I had a friend who had like come out of the summer with like a fat 10K commission check. And I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the ticket. That's a great place yeah. to be. Um, and so I got excited about that, but I just like, I never had the motivation behind the product. Uh, it wasn't that it's not, it's not a good product. It's just, you know, I wasn't like thrilled to wake up every day and sell people life insurance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so when you, you know, years later met your co-founder at the hackathon, um, okay, I'm going to just play the stupid card for a second because I, this is a real question for me that I don't know the answer to. Like you go to a hackathon. Why are you going to a hackathon? What do you even yeah. do there? So uh, I had been working on a side project called, uh, I called it Yovo. And it's honestly kind of similar to what you guys are doing at Gong today. I actually remember having a conversation with a, a product manager over at Sales Loft about what I was working on. And he was like, you should look at Gong. They're doing some cool stuff here. Um, but I, I was really interested in like finding that, like you talk to a bunch of founders who are like non-technical and like the first thing they're like talking about and stuff, it's like, gotta find that CTO to help you build something. It's not actually the correct approach, but um, 
yeah, I was convinced that I could go to this event and find a developer to work with. Um, what I ended up finding was a non-technical co-founder who's you know, been a fantastic person to learn from, work with, and you know, I couldn't be happier to have spent the last you know, three years grinding together. But um, yeah, I, I went into the experience. I've been working on this idea. Um, yeah, I've been doing like the sales side of it, kind of hoping that I could find a, a lead that would pay for what I was hoping to build. Um, and he came up and he presented this idea that I had actually lived. He presented the notion of, you know, hey, when a marketer is going and designing campaigns, you know, a lot of what they put out there is guesswork. A lot of what they put out there is, you know, informed by their gut, not necessarily by human psychology. It's a lot of like stereotypical persona work. What if we used personality insights, you know, neuroscience-driven insights to design campaigns to the way people think. The first step in that is create a customer data platform that can segment people by these different persona, mm -hmm. um, these truer persona. Um, I had been working in consulting. Um, yeah, I worked for a consulting shop, boutique firm in Atlanta, called TopRight, uh, former Apple McKinsey execs who have um, put together some awesome project work for, um, yeah, everyone as big as like PBS, uh, CenturyLink, down to like marketing technology startups and uh, smaller nonprofits. So um, I got to cut my teeth with some really cool clients in that world. Um, we, we worked in the system of story strategy system. So create what the brand story is, really get a sense for who they are, you know, design a strategy of how we're going to take that to market and then operationalize it. And so mm -hmm. my job was I essentially ran all things operationalizing, um, you know, designing the tech systems, putting them into place. And so I had lived a lot of that guesswork that my now co-founder was talking about. And so I was stoked to just like dive into that problem. I had a ton of contacts that we could reach out to over the course of that weekend um, and so we just dove in and, you know, we really enjoyed working together. I think over the course of that weekend, we probably slept a collective three hours. Uh, <laughs> and so like we, um, we won the, the, the competition and, you know, Will and I like dove in head first right after that. We ended up meeting our CTO about a year later. Um, but yeah, it was was a really cool um, thing to be a part of. Um, one of the things that, like the biggest takeaway that I, I got from working on that um, product was people don't care about what you do. They don't care about your science. They don't care about any of that. We had this like aha moment um, in uh, like, January of 2020, so like pre-COVID, but uh, we were working with some direct consumer brands and one of them finally turned around and they were like, I actually don't want to use your product at all. I like <laughs> the fact that it gets me results, but like, how can I spend less time in your product? And it was like, wow, okay. Um, what would you like it to do? Like, what, like, you know, just talking to them, like, what, what do you want to see from this? And they're like, honestly, like, I don't care about the segments extra work for me. What I care about are like my KPIs. What I care about are what I'm getting measured on. I have to return mm -hmm. on ad spend. And I was like, well, we've got all these content like analytics tools that we've been working on, you know, based on that feedback of I don't really care about the segments. I don't know how to use it. Um, why don't we just run a simple correlation between your return on ad spend and these content metrics? Mm -hmm. So we did that, we put some new ads in place and about a week later they had doubled their return on ad spend. And it was like, okay, let's focus on what they seem to care about. You know, what's your return on ad spend today? Have you like looked at any of the like analytics within your content itself? And let's see if we can turn this into a product. We had some awesome pipeline within the automotive world. Um, we had some awesome uh, pipeline within direct consumer world as well as the agency world. 
and COVID hit and it was basically like this like pause. Everyone was like, no, we're not going to spend on advertising right now. Um, we're not worried about, you know, optimizing our internal ad spend because we're not increasing our ad spend. So like we're, we're slowing these things down. So don't, um, this isn't something we're going to invest in. And so my co-founders and I were in the entrepreneurship lab up at NYU. Um, our CTO went to NYU, graduated in three years. He's freaking brilliant. Um, <laughs> and we're chatting about it. And my Will, um, he is reading TechCrunch and he's like, check this out. LinkedIn Sales Navigator shutting down support for Gmail. And we were like, oh, that's an interesting like opportunity. Probably like make some cash flow out of uh, you know, our data connections that we've been using to run these customer segments. And you know, just kind of recreate it. Then I chimed in and I was like, why don't we throw the content analytics on the backside and just tell people if they're writing a good email or not? And like that was the initial product. We showed it to about eight people. The eighth person was actually um, the angel investor who uh, funded the entire pivot. And we were off to the races after that. And then we had to figure out who we were building it for because we had a cool product and no one to necessarily focus on, which is yeah. never where you want to be as a founder. Um, so we're like, okay, we've got like three months of runway. How do we figure out who actually needs this? And so we, I still remember I like reached out to, I don't know if you call it like the start of COVID, like a bunch of folks at, you know, companies like Airbnb and stuff got laid off. I reached mm -hmm. out like one-to-one -to, -one to like every single one of those individuals. And I was like, I think this could be helpful for job seekers. What do you think? Got like mixed reviews, went after <clears throat> HR, recruiting, uh, went after customer success. One of our like first demos was actually with a um, like senior, senior VP at Microsoft who was like, this sounds really cool. And we're like, cool, it only works in Gmail. And he was like, well, obviously we use Outlook. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, we kept grinding and it, it actually was um, Nick Bennett over at Alice now. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, I think he was somewhere else. Um, but he posted a review of our product to LinkedIn and all of a sudden a bunch of salespeople started signing up and then they started talking about it. And mm -hmm. then we had a marketing intern at the time, um, one of about... I think in all in all, we had like 20 something interns over that, that course that summer, um, just something I can dive into. But um, we had a marketing intern who was like, you guys should just start posting to LinkedIn and yeah, maybe focusing the content towards salespeople. And so that like fed the machine. And yeah, we spent the next three months after that focusing product development towards like a sales use case. And um, yeah, I think... We're, we're coming up now on what's probably gonna be one of our biggest product releases in the sense that, you know, every week you'll start to get like coaching tips based on what's actually working for your particular emails. Uh, mm -hmm. You'll get recommendations based off of, um, you know, what's actually driving, um, you know, higher response rates within your emails this week and yeah. We're doing some of that. We're also doing some uh, some interesting NLP stuff around like um, automatically summarizing emails, um, which has some interesting application for like AESDR handoffs and yeah, keeping managers up to date. But uh, yeah. the idea is to just be like the most helpful inbox assistant possible for salespeople now. Yeah. So walk me through a little bit um, for folks that maybe aren't super familiar, like. Um, they might have used a tool like like Grammarly or something like that that helps with like punctuation and, and yeah. spelling and things like that. Um, my I haven't used Lavender, but my my thought is that it's it's kind of like uh, like a 4.0 version of that where it's like really coaching a lot more specifically. It's probably offensive to even use that the Grammarly name like it, yeah. that wasn't a comparison, no, but maybe no, just it, like it as a reference point. I think about I think about a good sales email, right? You're gonna have some correct grammar. You're gonna be correct, right? But there's also the factors of being 
concise, you know, being considerate of the other person, being, you know, um, uh, uh, really leaning on that consideration piece. I mean, like the tone. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you think about Grammarly, it just, it gives you a very general swath and it doesn't necessarily help you with the things that are going to drive reply rates. Um, you know, one of the biggest killers for reply rates is this complexity score. And so my co-founder and I harp on this all the time, which is, yeah, 70% of the first drafts that go through our system. And yeah, I, I sort of view that as a statistical sample of 70% of all emails yeah. are written beyond this 10th grade reading level. Um, it's not that, you know, Tom, I know you could read beyond a 10th grade reading level. Yeah. Let's hope. It's, yeah. Right. It's your prospect does not care to read your email beyond a 10th grade reading level. They don't have the attention span. They're not paying attention to what it is that you want to talk about and you know, you're an interruption in their day. And so you have to keep it stupid simple so that you can actually break through that, you know, caveman filter that they have when they look at your email and they're like, how do I, you know, go through my inbox triage and how do I, you know, quickly categorize this for what it is, make a decision about it and either respond or move on. And so, you know, you guys have done some, um, awesome research around like interest-based CTAs. And it's, um, yeah, there's some reasons for why that works beyond just like it's not pushy and stuff. It's, it's simple and easier to reply to. Mm-hmm. Just like um, providing a specific date versus asking how their calendar looks. If you think about like, if you ask me like how my calendar looks, it's a stressful question because I immediately start thinking <laughs> of my calendar and I'm like, oh God, I don't know, um, I'm busy. Right. Yeah. And so like just saying like, is this helpful is a very simplistic yes or no. It reduces that like cognitive load threshold that somebody's going through. So um, that that complexity thing is something that we harp on pretty hard, mostly because you know it's right now one of the top drivers for reply rates that we've seen. And I'm curious, do you look past reply rates uh in terms of like what the sentiment is of of the respondent exactly um we we do uh, that that was one of the the key things when we were designing our system was how do we optimize for not just getting a response but getting a positive reply because mm-hmm. uh, yeah i could tell you that i have your yeah your fiance captive and like, you'll be like, okay, what do you want? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not necessarily positive. Right. Um, so like taking the, the thoughtful approach of like, how do you actually drive deals to close? I mean, one of, one of my favorite things to hear feedback from folks using our software is not that they're getting more replies. It's that they're getting more positive replies and they're getting more positive replies faster. So that it doesn't take mm you know, the 12th email within a cadence. Um, Max um, Alshler over at um, Outreach. Yeah, he was, uh, he was on a, it was a podcast or a webinar that they were hosting the other day. And he was talking about their cadences. And he's like, if you don't get them by like the fifth touch point, you're not really going to get them. Um, so like in my mind, it's like, okay, well, if you're not going to get them after the fifth touch point, why are we sending them you know, 12 different touch points. Why don't we just optimize this first five to get it right? Yeah. Um, I'm curious, have you seen, you mentioned like years and years ago, a mentor shared like what that template was that was really successful. That was not seemingly customized at all. And maybe even a, maybe even a lie by the way, because he didn't back channel. It was maybe even a lie because he didn't back channel people Asking about yeah. the resume. So. It, was, it was a total. It was like, he literally just like threw it out there. Um, uh, but like, have you... the world of sales has changed, right? And you can't yeah, get away yeah. with some of the stuff you used to. Um, no, it, it's just, that's a funny one. But where are you going with that? <laughs> no, I, um, I was, I was curious if, um, you know, something that, uh, you know, I'm a pretty big follower of John Barros and he mm-hmm. talks a lot about, um, you know, uh, customizing, you know, kind of like the first line or customizing for the persona versus each individual based on how you can kind of scale that out. I'm just curious 
if you've seen any trends like that. I don't know if you're looking at things on the macro, um, but I'm just curious from a sales perspective, if you've seen any data or tracking any data about something like that. Yeah, so the average amount of time that somebody's gonna spend reading your email is about 12 seconds. And mm. so like, if you're looking at word count, you know, how long it is that like, yeah, your, your actual writing is, that what that shows you, yeah, you know, most of those emails are going to be in that 100 word count range. Yeah, it, it goes much longer than that 12 second time span. And it's not that people just aren't reading emails, it's that people skim. And so that first two lines are really going to dictate whether or not they take the time to read the rest of the note. Um, yeah, even if they do take the time to read the rest of the note, like how deeply are they reading the rest of the note? Kind of gets back to that simplicity thing. Like you spend mm -hmm. all this time putting all these complex measures in and then they don't actually remember half of it. Yeah. Um, so the, the first line thing is absolutely true. It's also massively impactful as far as open rates. So there's been some really cool research done around open rates and personalization regarding those first lines. So, you know, the big reason we all know to keep your, you know, subject lines between two to three words, keep it short, right? Mm -hmm. um, the thinking there is, it's not that like, you know, a long subject line is, you know, all of a sudden unattractive. It's that you're trying to save room for the preview text. The preview text yeah. is where the money's at. Um, because you can actually show that person that you took time to write them a note. And so when you look to see open rate data, you could personalize around you know, the person, the, cult, the company and the role that they work in, and you know, the, um, the industry as a whole, like industry-based you know, statistics, like um, you know, folks within you know, health tech are dealing with the following, right? And as far as open rates go, the more personal you get, the more opens you get, but you have to blend it into the things that are relevant to them and what they do at the company or else you're not going to get the replies. When you only mm -hmm. focus on the personal, you don't get the replies. What gets the replies are these things that tie back to the company and the industry trends that they're dealing with. And so uh, I, yeah, when I look at, I've, uh, I've started to do a lot of these like one-on-one -on -one, coaching things, um, sort of like a, a wild hair idea where we were, we were kind of just like talking about it internally and I was like, yeah, what's a good litmus test to like see if this is as big of a problem as we think it is? And I just like posted my Calendly link and I was like, hey, if you want some email one-on-one -on -one help, like happy to do it. And I ended up blowing up my calendar for like a four week period. <laughs> um, but you know, seeing a lot of like how folks are trying to do that, they they focus on the wrong things when they're getting into the personal aspects of an individual, right? It's like where you went to school, and it's like, okay, it's great that you know I went to Carolina, or you know that you know I, I live in the Atlanta area, but those aren't the things that are going to drive me replying to your email. It's yeah. tying back me, my role, my experience to where I work, what's happening right now at the company. And you have to, you have to know something about who they are. You, know, you have to know your buyer in order to personalize to that. And so it's, um, yeah, one of my favorite questions to ask people within those one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions is like, okay, you're going to send them that case study. Well, yeah, let me, let me just break this down a little bit more. So like in that case study, what did you help that company do? Is that company similar to the person that you're reaching out to? Um, like you start piecing apart these things. It's like, you know, you're really trying to get to why you're actually reaching out to the individual. And it's like, hey, I saw you work in marketing. Since you work in marketing, you know, you're probably dealing with a certain thing at this time of year based on like how your company goes to market. And like, you actually have to like break down who this other person is on the other side. It, it's what makes scaling a sales thing like hard right yeah but if you can, can i just i gotta i gotta butt in just real yeah, quick because yeah. you mentioned case studies 
just for the salespeople listening, no one's reading your case study. No. Nope. I don't care if that's a cold not email. I don't care if their DocuSign is in their inbox. They're not reading your case study. All right, you can go they're on. Not, they're not. <laughs> oh, man. I, I get like, I get heated when people like bring me their emails and they're like, there's a hyperlink in it to like a case study that's relevant. And I'm like, how many people have actually clicked through to that? And they're like, <laughs> 1% and I'm like, okay, are you a salesperson? Or are you a marketer? Because if you're a marketer, you know, a 1% click through rate, you might be happy about it. And you might do some adjustments to like tweak that number. But if you're a salesperson, like hopefully you're not converting between one and 5%. You're actually sending something that's got some meat on it. And mm-hmm. you know, you're trying to start a conversation. You know, one of the things that drives me absolutely nuts in the sales world today is salespeople are acting like marketers, not salespeople in an effort Mm. to hit output numbers. Mm. Um, They are hawking solutions in search of a problem so that they can build a relationship on the back end. When in reality, that that equation needs to be flipped where it's like, hey, I'm trying to reach out to you and build a relationship with you. And yeah, part of that is understanding what problems you're probably facing you know, you've got to bring something to the table in order to get them to start to unearth problems that they're facing. And then on the, the latter part, you know, hopefully you've got some solutions that you can offer up in that conversation. You know, some, I, I have plenty of conversations where like the solution is not my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's probably the biggest example is email deliverability. You know, we've got some tools within our own product that help with email deliverability. We can track for words that are likely to uh, trigger a spam filter. But you know, if your you know, email domain records aren't set up correctly, or if you've been blacklisted for sending um, too much of the same email without any variation in the short period of time, like. Google and Microsoft will flag your account and you, know, you will start to go to spam at a high rate. Yeah. It's like, I can't help with that. Like I can help with your content, but I can't help with this factor. And so like, here's some tools that you should look at. Here's some yeah. resources that you should go read. Um, you know, that is you know, what it actually means to be a seller is to actually understand the, the problems that your person is facing. And yeah. yeah. Think before you sort of like, regurgitate what the marketing department has told you to say. Yeah. And, and if you are knowledgeable in the space of not just you and your competitors, but also adjacent technologies and other things, then if you help them with that, then when it's time, when they do have the problem that you can solve, you're the person that they call, right. Versus you trying to like, you know, kind of force whatever problem they have into this like weird non-existent use case of your product. Um, I just feel like as salespeople would be doing a lot better if we, you know, help, help the person solve the problem. And then when it was the time where our problem or, you know, our solution came into play, that's when we, you know, were able to help. Yeah. And it's funny, you asked me about my, my sales experience and what my first job out of college was with a group called health grades where, uh, I was actually originally hired to be a salesperson, um, for their, ad uh, sales team. So Yelp, but for doctors and hospitals is what health grades is. And so they had hired me in to um, sell into the pharmaceutical world, selling ad space on their website. Uh, First day I show up and they're like, hey, we actually don't want you to do that. We're starting up this new revenue stream called elected providers. So all the hospital, like non-doctors, like dermatologists, dentists, et cetera. We want them to get more out of the site. And so we need to build a product around this. We need to grow it. Uh, we actually ended up bringing that up to a, yeah, I, I brought in, a, you know, eventually became about $10 million a year as far as annual revenue. Um, but most of that came from sitting there and understanding what it was that these folks were dealing with. And, you know, the, the big challenge there was, you know, you're not the only review site you're not the only place where I'm trying to grow my business. You're just one of many places. And so I got the smart idea. I was like, okay, well, who is helping them grow their business? Why don't I just go to them and they can bundle that in with all the other stuff that they do. Um, 
know, it can be a much more bigger value play. And so like reselling became like the obvious go-to-market motion for that entire business model. But it came from the, the fact that I wasn't trying to just like piecemeal my solution and with what they do. I was like, okay, well, what are all the things you've got to do? And I was like, okay, well, we can't go sell our competitors' products. So like who is selling our competitors' products? And like, how do we get our you know, position in there more effectively? Yeah. So uh, I'm curious, I've got a hot take for you. Um, so you, did you, you coined the name lavender last year, right? Yeah. I've got a hot take on why it's called lavender. All right. What, what do you think it is? Okay. I think it's because most emails are, you know, they're kind of like scratchy. They kind of like stress you out. They smell <laughs> bad. They're just like kind of frustrate you. And lavender's just like, Oh, after you use us, it's like, oh, it's all calm. Like you're getting all your replies and people are enjoying your emails and they feel good about it. And like, you're not stressed out and you're like chilling. Someday, How close am I? someday that will be the sexy like PR story that we tell. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was actually a shower thought. Um, okay. <laughs> I was um, another trip up to New York, sleeping on my co-founder's couch. Uh, he had moved from Atlanta to New York because we were going after direct consumer brands and most of those live and breathe in New York City. Uh, so he had a spot in New York, uh, Brooklyn, that he was renting. Uh, I was sleeping on his couch as we were doing some sales meetings up there and was taking a shower. You, know, you spend enough time in the direct consumer world, you see a lot of things around like drop shipping, you see a lot of things around just like how easy it is to like spin up a brand, XYZ. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm staring at his roommate's body wash that's lavender scented. And I had the wild idea, hey, direct consumer brand called Lavender. I don't know what they'd sell, but like it's a pretty good name for like an e-commerce shop. Like I bet people yeah. would be like, oh, Lavender, cool. I don't know if it's like <laughs> swag or like candles, but uh, <laughs> so I jumped out of the shower and I was like, hey, we should see if this domain's available. And he was like, try lavender. It's like nine bucks. And I was like, let's buy it, see what happens. So when he came up with the, you know, when the idea sort of birthed out of this like conversation at the um, NYU Entrepreneur Center, uh, we're like, well, what do we call it? And we're like, well, we've got this lavender domain. <laughs> <laughs> why don't we just strap it to that um yeah we had like joked like yeah maybe it like makes your inbox more peaceful or something like that um but that was actually the uh the lavender origin story it's like such a it's kind of like like i feel like this whole business was um yeah it's intentional in the sense of like um it's actually kind of funny that the the reason yeah, lavender has actually been an interesting name, like longer term is, um, yeah, it's kind of embedded into an ethos of like what you describe, like, you know, yeah. scratchy emails, you know, everything about lavender is a pleasant thing, right? Yeah. And so like, nobody's ever heard like lavender, like, oh, it's nasty. It's yeah, like, yeah. oh, that's, that's like, that's so pleasant. That's, uh, that's so peaceful, calming. Um, so like, we sort of took that to real heart, particularly around UI UX design. And mm -hmm. we were just, you know, my co-founder Will has been adamant about like pixel by pixel, like how things are going to lay out, how it's going to look, how it's going to be experienced. Because when you're in someone's inbox, it's a very personal place. And you know, the, yeah, as soon as you do something wrong, you see uninstalls like a spike. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you quickly, like we quickly learned to like create a, a feature flag button where like if something breaks or something like, um, yeah, messes up, we can like revert back really quick and like, okay, let's fix that before we do that Damage again. Damage control. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I still remember the day before we had that and it was like, oh my God, what did we do? What did we do? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you start getting emails in, they're like, you know, why is it doing this? Why is it covering that? Why is it, you know, X, Y, and Z? And you, know, you quickly realize like, um, you know, every pixel does matter. Every yeah. like, little tidbit does matter. And so, you know, having an amazing designer on staff, 
Um, now having a, a co-founder who's design obsessed has been probably one of our um, you know, key differentiating factors when I, I look at what we do and, and the space that we live in. Yeah. Um, so we've got time for just a, a couple quick questions for you. Um, so first and foremost, uh, we're big book people, big podcast people on this show. I'm curious, like any, any resources that have helped you, uh, at all in life, you know, no, no topics off limits. Uh, but if it's a book or a podcast or YouTube video or anything like that. Yeah. Um, let me think, let me think. Um, I've got three sales books that I love and hold near and dear to my heart. Um, First would be Spin Selling by Neil Rackham because Mm -hmm. we as sellers don't ask enough questions. Um, We do a lot of assuming. I see it all the time in cold email. Um, This actually transitions into the next book that I will suggest, which is Dale Carnegie's um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm-hmm. And we actually recently implemented a U to I ratio in our product based off of this notion of Dale Carnegie's idea that you should be talking about them 80% of the time, 20% about yourself. Um, yeah, that actually plays really well with spend selling when you think about it, because yeah, if you force yourself in an email to only talk about the other person, you realize how little you actually know. Mm-hmm. And you, your emails all of a sudden get a lot skinnier they get a lot simpler and you ask really good questions that tie back to things that they're trying to accomplish that you could probably help them with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the last book that I suggest is a group, it's called uh, How to Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. If you're, are, are you familiar with like five factor personality models? Nope. Okay. Uh, so there's a personality. Teach me. There's, okay. So there's five factors of personality. There's stability traits and plasticity traits. Um, okay. think of plasticity as your desire for change. So like yep. openness to new experiences, is one extroversion is another one. That one requires a little less explanation. Um, but there's a stability trait known as agreeableness. And you could almost think about it as like how much you care about what other people think. Um, you, know, you can also think about it as your propensity to um, think about other people before you know you think about you know, the task at hand. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, if you've heard of like disc personality trait analysis, um, mm-hmm. Crystal Nose is a, a great company that's done some great work in that. Uh, it's just your extroversion, you know, flip the cross with your agreeableness traits. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, this agreeableness trait, I rank really highly for it. I, I think about other people uh, and their opinions probably more than I ever should. And so yeah. this book, How to Pitch Anything, basically just like slams the notion of like, you know, stop caring, stop worrying, stop thinking about what other people think. Yeah. You know, use these power dynamics to like get your mindset right when it comes to what it is and like how to sell because you know so much of selling is confidence and just like truly believing in what it is that you're pitching um and so like that book for me was a big eye opener and so when i talk to other folks and like i get the sense that like they have that worry they're thinking about what other people think i always tell them to read that book because i'm like it is, it's going to give you like a perspective that you probably hadn't thought about, but it, yeah, it talks about some of the things that we actually embed into the product um, around like, um, it, it gets into some of the neuroscience behind why simple emails work. It gets into mm-hmm. some of the neuroscience behind like why, um, a more brash approach can be more effective sometimes. Um, For me, like I love to understand the why behind things. Um, I'm a little bit more analytical in that regard. So Mm -hmm. it's, it was a a super helpful eye-opening book for me on that regard. Yeah. Awesome. Well, those are three great resources uh, for folks. Um, I did want to give a quick shout out. I was doing some research 
before the interview to your site and my pal Lauren Frilling with the quote on the lavender site. Yeah, dude, Lauren's great. So uh, give her a quick shout out. Dude, Lauren, amazing. Um, but she has been, um, she's given us some fantastic feedback on the product. Um, so big kudos to, to Lauren. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Will, this is a blast, man. Um, is there anything that, that we didn't get to? Um, uh, let's see. Um, yeah, maybe one last parting thing would just be yeah. if I have to give anybody some advice when- Hit them with it. Writing Hit them, Will. Come on. It's simplify, shorten, ask questions, and yeah, don't be afraid to send- a two to three line email if it's focused around a specific question. I think we get a little wrapped up in trying to over clarify, particularly for your younger audience that yeah, is coming out of school and they've been trained over and over again about how to be you know, more complex in their writing, how to be more thorough, how to write this five page essay when in reality all you needed was a couple paragraphs that explained why you believed a certain thing. You know, this academic mindset behind writing we have to like unlearn it in order to be an effective emailer mm, i love it uh if people want to learn more about lavender if they want to hit you up chat with you uh what's the best place to do that well linkedin is a fantastic way to get in touch with me the other would be to just shoot me an email of course um all read at trylavender.com i respond to literally every single email i get um, even if it's a shitty cold pitch, I will reply and let you know why it's a bad pitch. Um, but yeah, the, the other way to you know, get a sense for lavender is just try it. You know, it comes with a week free trial. So you can go to our website at trylavender.com and give it a shot and yeah, reach out if you've got any questions, of course. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on, uh, coming fresh off the honeymoon. Uh, very gracious with your time. So I appreciate it, Will. Uh, Tom, I appreciate you having me on, man. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Thank you, everyone, so much for checking out that podcast, uh, especially if you're in the middle of cleaning the dishes, mowing the lawn, uh, you know, taking a nap, whatever it is that you're doing, multitasking while you're listening to this. I appreciate you. Again, shout out to Gong. Shout out to Postal. Uh, it's the last month of the quarter. Let's get after it, people. And please uh, hit me up on social media. I'm Tommy Tahoe everywhere. Uh, Tom Alamo on LinkedIn and uh, review this podcast, subscribe, uh, show some love. Peace.